Uh, this morning we continue with our study in the book of Exodus. And let me show you that uh, picture over there. Can you see it? Looks like a stone and some inscriptions on there, right? Some of them are saying that, uh, you know, this archaeological find, uh, you have the parts of the Bible written on there. But before we proceed with Exodus chapter 20, of course, we give a short refresher on Exodus 19. And we're going to read Exodus 19, 5 and 6, and also verse 8. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So God was talking to Moses, and Moses was giving this to the people. This was God's instructions to Moses. So he was just echoing what God said, that these people are going to be my people, they are going to be my possession, and they will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And what was the response of the people in verse 8? All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. I call this foot-in-mouth disease. Look at their response in verse 8. What are they saying? What are they saying? What did they say? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. When you say you are going to obey all, what are you supposed to do? Obey all. Foot in mouth disease. You see, the Bible is very clear. Jesus said, you and I will be held accountable for every careless word that proceeds from our mouth. By your words, you will be acquitted. Or by your words, you will be condemned. They said, we are committing to obey all that the Lord has spoken. And when the Bible says all, what does it mean? All. We have some philosophical uh, people. It says all, but I'm not part of that all. Well, I don't know what dictionary you use. But my understanding is very simple. When, a, when you say all, it means all. So in verse 10 and 11, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. When Pastor Reggie shared on Exodus 19, he shared with us that the Lord was going to come down. And he gave specific instructions to Moses. The people can only come up to a certain point geographically. If they go up to the mountain, they will die because the presence of the Lord 
was on that mountain. And because God is holy, no one can come face to face with God and live. That's why when Moses had an encounter with God, God spoke to him through a burning bush. And God told Moses, Moses, remove your sandals. For the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Wherever the Lord is, wherever the Lord's presence is, that is holy ground. Let me ask you, therefore, if the Bible says, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. Is the presence of the Lord in this place? Is this ground therefore considered holy ground? Yes. That's why when we come to God in worship, we should be prepared spirit, soul, and body. That's why Pastor Reggie challenged us. This worship that we do on Sunday is a divine appointment with God. Look at what they said. Look at what God said. Prepare. Consecrate yourselves. How long were they preparing? Three days. They prepared three days to meet with God. What do we do? Three minutes. Three minutes. It's okay. They don't start on time anyway. Right? It's okay. They're still singing. And I don't sing. Our appointment with God is special. And if we treat appointments with other people of importance to a great degree that we would prepare, you go to bed early, you prepare your clothes early, you see if you have gas in the car, and etc., etc. Don't you think our special appointment with God requires even more preparation? You agree? So what are we doing about it? God said, consecrate yourselves. For on the third day, I will come down with the mountain. And he was going to meet with Moses. And what was he going to do? He was going to give them the Ten Commandments. But what does it mean when you say consecrate? The Hebrew... Kadosh, we sang about it this morning. To consecrate, sanctify, prepare, dedicate, be hallowed, be holy, be sanctified, be separate, to set apart, be consecrate. You, you know the idea, right? I don't have to read everything here, right? In Greek, hagios, to become consecrated, become holy, consecrate, declare holy, dedicate. In one word, it is set apart. It is set apart. Now, I usually give this uh, illustration. If you've been to the Philippines, how can you tell if a particular vehicle belongs to the Philippine government? Usually, something is painted on the doors, right? What does it say? For official use also. Is that what it says? No. no. It says for official use only. That vehicle 
is set apart for a specific government official business only, not also. If it is also, then it is not set apart. If it is also, it is not consecrated. You get the idea? God said, set yourselves apart. Consecrate yourselves. Because on the third day, I'm going to meet with all of you through Moses. So Exodus, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, God set them apart. God chose them out of all the nations, out of all the tribes. God chose the Israelites to be His own people. Why? What was so good about the Israelites that of all the peoples, God would set them apart? When we studied Genesis and the early part of Exodus, there were a bunch of complainers, right? They were liberated from the Egyptians who treated them like dirt. God set them free. Oh, why did you bring us out to this desert? There's no water. Oh, here's water. Oh, why did you bring us out to this de desert? There's no food. So here's food. Why, why, why? It's better that you left us in Egypt to die. Why? I wouldn't choose these people. I wouldn't choose these people. But God chose these people. Why? Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. So why did God pull them out? Why did God set them apart from all the peoples? Because God, Yahweh, the Lord our God, is a covenant-keeping God. And He promised when He called Abraham, you will be a father of a great nation. All nations will be blessed through you, but your people will be enslaved for 400 years but I'm going to bring them out. The Lord our God is a covenant-giving God, and when He gives you a promise, you claim His promise, not based on your capacity to fulfill that promise, but on His capacity to fulfill it in your life. Amen? Amen. They weren't deserving, but because God is God, and God is unchangeable, He promised that He would liberate His people. So just to be clear, they were not chosen for anything else except that God made a promise and He was going to fulfill that promise. 
And because God is set apart, because God is holy, guess what? What does God expect His people to do? 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Be holy in all you do. Yes, Lord, we will obey all your commandments. My title of our message this morning is A Perfect Ten. You like to watch Olympics, you know, in the gymnastics, and then they read the dives and the events. Right? What do they have? And then you have score. Eight and a half, nine, ten. And if all the judges score ten, it's called what? Perfect score. Perfect ten. I, 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 you know, because of my age, I remember from Romania, Nadia Komanich. I think she was all of 14 years old. Oh, ten after ten after ten. I think she has the record of the most number of perfect tens. In gymnastics. So why am I calling it a perfect 10? Because the people declared, everything you will command, we will follow. God said, you must be holy in all you do. Because I am holy, my people shall also be holy. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above, or in the earth beneath, or in the water underneath. Look how God begins. He begins by reminding you and I who God is. He said, I am the God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You remember our snapshot of the entire book of Exodus? First you're in bondage, then you are set free, then you begin the process of sanctification. God is reminding you and me, He was the one who pulled us out of slavery. He transferred us from the dominion of darkness into his kingdom of marvelous light. Never forget that it's all about God. And then he goes on to begin to give them his commands. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol for yourself in any likeness of what is in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Then he says, you shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commands. I remember Oprah Winfrey. You know Oprah Winfrey, right? One of the most uh, powerful women in America. And this was her statement in a video clip that I watched some years ago. 
she stopped believing in God because she saw this verse or a verse similar to it. She said, I cannot believe that God is a jealous God. Now, she may have been confused, and I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Because when the Bible says that God is a jealous God, it does not mean that God is jealous of you. Like us, I'm jealous of my neighbor. Why does my neighbor have a new car? Or a new house? Or a new wife? Right? When the Bible says God is a jealous God, He is not jealous of you. God is jealous for you. Do you understand the difference? God is jealous for you that He wants to protect you, that He wants to bless you. He's not jealous of you. He is jealous for you. He said, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. What else? He is going to visit the iniquity on the, of the father on the children. Iniquity of the father on the children. Fathers, are you awake? As you lead your family, be reminded of this warning. Visiting the iniquity of the father on the children to the third and fourth generation. But look at the good news. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commands. You disobey God, there is consequence. You obey God, God is promising you blessing. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Just open up your TV or watch a movie. The name Jesus Christ has now become a curse word. Is that not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain? Yes. And what did God say? He will not let them go unpunished, those who take the name of the Lord their God in vain. Now, I may not use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as a curse word. And there, oh, I'm not guilty of that. But am I not taking the name of the Lord our God in vain if I profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ and my life does not show that I am indeed a follower of Jesus Christ? Isn't that not taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. It to you shall not, in it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male, your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner, who stays with you. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. My tax preparer 
schedule an appointment for our tax for 2016, and I hope you pay your taxes. Because we do not want to take the name of the Lord our God in vain, right? And she scheduled us 5 o'clock Sunday. So it got me thinking. You're now open on Sundays? It's all right. I'm not the judge. So when we were in her office, I said, uh, why do you open on Sundays now? Oh, it's hard to uh, answer when the pastor is the one asking me. <laughs> no, I said, give it a shot. Well, she said, uh, Pastor, you know, as I've been uh, studying uh, the Bible, I have really come to a conclusion that the Sabbath is really Saturday because the Bible says it was the first day of the week. So I said, you know, the Bible is explicit. Six days you shall work. The seventh is your Sabbath. If you choose Saturday to be your Sabbath, it means you're setting apart that day to be the Lord's day. Because six days you shall work, the seventh is your Sabbath. We choose our Sabbath to be on Sunday. She has chosen her Sabbath to be on Saturday. So I asked very simply and candidly, so who are you fellowshipping with? Who are you worshiping with on your chosen day as the Sabbath, which is Saturday? She said, Pastor, I'm still looking. I said, if you want to fulfill the command on the Sabbath, look for a group that believes that Saturday is the Sabbath, but you must worship on your chosen Sabbath day. Because people come up to me and say, Pastor, I think I'm committing sin because I'm not able to join with you on Sundays. I said, why are you not able to join with us on Sunday? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a nurse and we're on rotation, so I have to work on Sundays. I say, what is your Sabbath? What is your day of rest? Well, I have Monday. So what do you do on Monday? That is your Sabbath day. That is the day dedicated as holy, set apart as holy for the Lord. Let's not be bagged down by the day. Let's look at what the Bible says. Look at it. Six days, you sh six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Made it set apart. Okay? What's the next command? Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the, which the Lord God gives you. Early in my ministry, one of our uh, elderly members of the D group said, In song, why does the Bible say that children must honor their parents so that they will live long? And as I've always told you, if you do not know the answer, what is your answer? I do not know. But I will research. And I will come back to you on that. So I did. Because you will be held accountable for every careless word that proceeds from your mouth. So I researched. And in Deuteronomy, I'm not going to show it now. Kids, you better listen. If the kid is disobedient to the point that the parents have really given up, they are to bring the child to the priest and declare, we have given up, we have tried everything. 
And this son of ours, this daughter of ours is so disobedient, so this, so that. We give up. And what is the priest going to do? The priest is going to bring the child in front of the city gate. And there, the child will be stoned to death. That's why there is a direct correlation of children obeying their parents so that your lives may be prolonged. <laughs> Praise be to God, we do not stone people to death anymore, right? What do we do now? Give me your cell phone. Give me your car keys, right? Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not take a life of another human being. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet, covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We're not going to take each one. In the coming weeks, we're going to discuss it. But for this morning, what's the message? Perfect 10. Why? Why did I title it a perfect 10? These are what we all know to be the 10 commandments, right? But there are other commandments in the scriptures. When you read an imperative, husbands, Love your wife. That is a command. Wife, be subject to your husband. That is a command. But for this morning, we're just going to look at the Ten Commandments. And what's the message this morning? Perfect Ten. The Ten Commandments. As we know it. Right? Now, why am I saying perfect Ten? Look at James chapter 2, 10 and 11. Whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. Look at this fellow. He follows all of the law. He follows it. But at one time, at one time, he stumbles. He has become what? Guilty of all. Why? Verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit murder, uh, adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. It has to be perfect, complete obedience, 24-7, 365 and a quarter days. Just for those of you who are thinking about the leap year, I have one extra day and I'm not going to obey God on that day. You have to obey everything all the time. If not, you are guilty as breaking all. Why? How many sins do you and I need to commit for us to be called a sinner? One. That's why the Bible is very clear. If you, I do not commit adultery, but do, not, but do commit murder, I have become a lawbreaker. If I dishonor my parents, I have become a lawbreaker. If I commit adultery, I become a lawbreaker. If I do not honor God, 
And as Brother Ulrich shared with us at the heart preparation this morning, this is the first commandment, and this is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your might. Okay, now who will pass the test? I fail the test. I cannot get a perfect 10. This guy is better than me. Because he is able to obey the law. But at one point, he disobeyed and he is guilty of all. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if I cannot obey the law perfectly, why then obey the commandments? Number one, by obeying the commandments of God, we distinguish ourselves as God's people. You have a lot of isms being preached and taught out there. Monotheism, polytheism, pantheism, deism, value judgmentism, universalism, fatalism, etc., etc. But being monotheistic and obeying the commands of God proves that you and I are separate from the rest of the world, that we are a people distinguished to be God's people. See, in Deuteronomy 11.26, it says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you, and a curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I'm commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am the one who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. So we as a people acknowledge one true God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triunity of the God that we believe. We distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world. Let me show you this picture. His name is Raju Sundas. I was able to edit his uh, testimony, which he shared in Manila many years ago. He is now pastor in Kathmandu, Nepal. Before coming to faith in Christ, and this is his testimony, I'm not making it up. He said that in Nepal, they teach he had 33 million this is how he said it. 33 million gods. Super, super plural. How can you have 33 million gods? You have a god for this, you have a god for that, you have another god for this, you have another god for that. It's like that Kia commercial. You're going to go on this, you're going to go on that. You have a god for everything. He had 33 million gods. Now, how many Sabbath days is that? <laughs> if you want to obey the Sabbath, I don't know. Just don't upon me if you have 33 million gods. 33 million gods. 
Now, if we believe in the one true God, we distinguish ourselves. We're set apart from the rest of the world. We set ourselves apart. We consecrate ourselves apart from the world because we believe in one true God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, even in the time of the Apostle Paul, this was very rampant. Acts 17. So Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription. Can you read that with me? To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Imagine. Just to make sure that they did not miss out on any God, let's have one that says to the unknown God. I may have missed one. I may only have 32 million. 999,999 gods. So I better make a statue for the unknown God in case I have missed one. You see how ridiculous this idea is? Paul even called them out. You worship in ignorance and I'm letting you know. Why obey the commands? Because if we adhere and worship only one God, we distinguish ourselves as God's people. Second, we prove we love God. 1 John 5 verse 3. In fact, this is love for God. To keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. Many of us think that when God gives us commands, they are meant to shackle us. They are meant to restrict our movements. They are meant to give us a heavy load. The Bible says His commands are not burdensome. They are for your benefit. God wants to bless you. In John 14, 15, and this is what we say to be the love language of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you love me, He'll obey my commands. The way we express our love back to God for loving us first is by loving Him back by obeying His commands. And it should be a joy for us because His commands are not burdensome. 1 John 15, 10 and 11. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. Did Jesus obey the will of God the Father? Yes. What did He say at the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if, if it is possible, remove this cup, yet not my will, but Thy will be done. Did Jesus obey? Yes. Should we also obey if we say that Jesus is our Lord? Yes. 15. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is these things that Jesus has told us? To obey. 
There is not only blessing in obedience. There is joy in obedience. And God wants us to experience not only blessing but joy. Why? Because there are some of us who obey like this. That's not obeying. Going through the outward motions of obedience, but inside you are rebelling, my friends, is not really obedience. And I will only obey whom I have relationship with. Because rules without relationship will only produce rebellion. Rules without relationship will only produce rebellion. But because God loved me and I respond to God's love, I obey because I love God. <coughs> I'm not after the blessing. They're the bonus. I'm after pleasing the heart of God who loved me and I love Him back by obeying Him. Why obey the commands? Because we distinguish ourselves as God's people. We prove we love God. And lastly, we become effective witnesses for Jesus. What do I mean? 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war, wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Actions speak louder than words. And the way we carry ourselves, the way we live out our Christianity is a magnet to other people who do not know Christ. When they see us faithfully obeying God and living out this free gift of, of eternal life we call salvation. When they see that good work that we do, they will be silenced. And not only will they be silenced, Lord willing, they will inquire of you. What is it? I can't put a finger on him. But there's something different about you. Especially if they knew you from the past and they know you now. What's happened to you? Something has changed. Is it good or bad? Well, you're a better person now. You're a better co-worker now. You, you don't complain as much. You do your work more efficiently now. What, what happened? Well, I met someone. Really? What's her name? Oh, no, no. It's Jesus Christ. Man, you're one of those, right? No, no, no. Hear me out, brother. This is what happened. And this is what I learned. That God loves us so much that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whomsoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Have you come to that point? That you know that when you die, you're going to heaven? 
it becomes an opening for the gospel. But it is dependent about how you and I live out our lives. See, what did Paul write? So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who has worked in you both to will and to work His good pleasure. See, some of us obey when our parents are there, when the pastor is there, but when the eyes are out, <laughs> that's why Paul is reminding us. Obey not only because I'm there. And it doesn't say work for your salvation because the commands are not a stepladder to get to salvation. The commands are there to distinguish us that we are a people who belong to God. That we love God and are willing to give up whatever it is so that I can obey God. And the commands are there so that I can become an effective witness for the gospel. Paul writes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for. Paul writes, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Who can obey the law 100%, 100% of the time? No one. Therefore, we are all subject to condemnation. Right? But Paul writes, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, God did not change the law. He said the penalty for sin is death. So how could we who have sinned continue to live without paying for that penalty? What happened? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it were through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the, fle to the flesh but according to the Spirit. <coughs> Jesus Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. On one side of the fence, you have sin has its payment of death. On the other side, you have Jesus Christ died for our sins. So if Jesus Christ died for the penalty of my sin, do I still owe a penalty of death for my sin? Answer, no. But who do I owe my life to? I owe my life to Jesus Christ. I cannot obey the commands. So if I, not, if I cannot obey the commands, then why obey the commands? 
Why? Let me share with you. Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight, in His sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Through the law, we say, we realize, God, if this is your perfect law, and I am supposed to obey it perfectly, then I am lost because I cannot obey the law. So when I look at the perfect law, I look at myself. I don't look at other people. I look at myself. And I say to myself, God, I can't make the grade. Wretched man that I am, who will save me? Praise be to God that in His grace, He decided to save us. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This, what is this? This, this faith, this faith to believe even comes from God. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, not by our capacity to obey, lest we boast. We don't make the grade. We will not make the grade. We will never become acceptable to God. We are only acceptable to God because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed at Calvary. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins. I have nothing to boast except the cross of Jesus Christ. Why are you going to heaven? Because Jesus died in my place. That is the gospel. I can't obey the law. Deuteronomy tells us that you, if you decide to try to get to heaven based on your capacity to obey the law, you have just cursed yourself to obey the law completely. No vacation. No oops. No excuses. You have to obey the law perfectly if you want to use the measure of the law as your ticket to heaven. And I'm here this morning to tell you, you're not going to make the grade. Only Jesus can get you to heaven because He died so that you can live. And you and I who live should now live for Him who died and rose again on our behalf. I can't make it. None of us can't make it. But Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the only way, my friends, for you and I to be able to enter heaven is only through Jesus Christ. 
I was amazed as I was preparing this message. You know, I, I, I go to Google Images. And I try to, you know, so that we have like the Ten Commandments picture that I showed you. When I Googled it, I came up with something that kind of startled me, that amazed me somewhat. Let me show you what I mean. Of course, her name is already there, right? Who is she? Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She is one of the most liberal Supreme Court justices to date. She would always spar with Justice Scalia, who was on the conservative side of the Supreme Court. But they were good friends. Why am I showing this to you? Why am I showing a picture of one of the most liberal Supreme Court justices in the present Supreme Court? Why? This is what she said. The Ten Commandments are a powerful statement of the covenant God made with His people. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I still have hope. I still have hope. Because such a liberal judge would say, the Ten Commandments are a powerful statement of the covenant of God made with His people. We cannot make the grade. But praise be to God that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to count you and I worthy. As I close this morning, I have to ask all of us, have you come to that point in your life that you say, I have accepted the grace of God. I have received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And because of Jesus Christ now living in me, when the time comes, I know I'm going to heaven. It's a perfect ten. We can't make it. But the grace of God goes above the law. For what the law was powerful to do, God saved us by His grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one should boast. Why should we obey? Because we distinguish ourselves as God's people. Because we prove we love God. And we become effective witnesses for Jesus. Let's pray. Beloved, you may be here this morning and you're not sure about where you will spend eternity. I'm here to tell you this morning that you can be sure through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So my question to all of us this morning is, have you come to that point in your spiritual journey that you have come to put your faith in Jesus Christ and accepted the grace of God which He has lavished upon you? If not, 
today might be the day that you open your heart and your mind and your spirit to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just tell Jesus that you can't make the grade that in and of yourself you cannot enter heaven because you're a sinner as I am a sinner and all of us are sinners. Accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross as payment for your sin and invite him into your life as your personal Lord and Savior and commit to follow him no matter what all the days of your life. Thank him for the free gift of eternal life that he has given to you. If you're here this morning and you already have a personal relationship with Jesus, but some way or another, your life doesn't really reflect the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just not only to forgive you of your sin, but cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why don't you be honest with God and just tell Him how you failed and claim His promise that He will forgive you and ask His help so that you don't fall into the same sin over and over again. God Almighty, we just want to thank you for allowing us to study your word and to see how perfect you are and how you expect your people to be perfect as you are perfect. You are holy and you expect your people to be holy as you are holy. And we can't make the grade, Lord God. But because of your grace and only because of your grace, are we accepted to be members of the family of God? Help us, Lord, to distinguish ourselves as your people. Help us, Lord, to obey you out of love. And help us, Lord, as we obey you, to become effective witnesses for Jesus. We ask for opportunities, Lord. Bring us people with whom we can share your love who need a Savior in their lives. And we pray for our church, Lord God, that you have entrusted to us, that you hold it securely in the hollow of your hand and protect all of us, Lord, from things that may go, be going on in our midst that do not glorify you. For you said, as we love you, our God, we should love one another. And in the essential things, we should be united in the non-essential things, we will be diverse. But in all things, Lord, we will exercise unconditional love. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.